Hey, everybody. Fantastic episode of the Bitcoin show today. Today's show is focused on building on Bitcoin, and we invited some of the most talented and notable Bitcoin builders to the show. That includes Chiente, the co-founder of Alex, John Ennis, the CEO of NeoSwap, Nick, co-founder of Gamma, Philip, founder and core team member of Arcadico, Chris, co-founder of Console, and Robin, co-founder of Liquidium. So we talk about all things DeFi, state stable coins, ordinals, wallets, communication platforms, and everything in between as we dive in with Builders on Bitcoin. We get some great input from Aubrey and Trevor as well. Overall, it's a great episode of the show, and I hope you enjoy it. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to The Bitcoin Show. If it is your first time listening, we run the show every Tuesday, right at this time, 2 p.m. Eastern time, where we discuss all things Bitcoin, past, present, and future. The show is also available on Apple and Spotify podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we are thrilled at the quantity and quality of guests that we're able to get on this show. Today's show is no different. Today's show will be focused on building on Bitcoin. So we have invited some of the most notable builders in the Bitcoin space to come and share their thoughts on the current climate, all things related Bitcoin building. So I'm very, very excited to get things kicked off. I'm the host of the show here with co-host Trevor Owens, an investor in many Bitcoin startups, a partner at the Bitcoin Frontier Fund, CEO of Ninja Alerts, and host of the Ordinal Show on Twitter Spaces, very talented podcast host in his own right. Trevor, how's it going? Going good, P.O. You know, there's a lot of FUD in the timeline about ordinals being dead and Bitcoin and, and whatever being dead. But I hope the builders up here today will show everybody that there's a lot going on and a lot to be excited about. Yeah, Twitter doesn't matter. So, uh, you know, <laughs> these things happen. They come and go. I'm not worried about it. Uh, Aubrey is also co-host of this show. I don't know if she's having trouble joining uh, the stage, but regardless, or here she comes. Uh, Aubrey is a marketing partner at Trust Machines, host of The Observation, big-time Bitcoin content creator. Check out The Observation on YouTube and the former head of communications at Lolly. Aubrey, good to have you back. Thanks for having me on. Um, you can hear me okay right now. Absolutely. It a little buggy. I'm excited for this. This is a stacked group of people, so super pumped for today's show. Absolutely. It's going to be a lot of fun. And ladies and gentlemen in the audience, uh, if you want to support the show, what you can do is you can retweet the show. So Clemente, the producer of the show, will be pinning a tweet to the top that's just a link to this Twitter space. Uh, it really helps just to get the show in front of as many listeners as possible if you just give it a quick retweet. And if you have any questions for any of the builders on the stage, click on that purple button in the bottom right side of your phone screen and just tweet at us. Tweet a question. Question. Uh, we'll even maybe let some people come on stage later on in the show. But uh, yeah, I mean, to give a quick introduction to the panelists, well, we have a lot. So maybe I'll, I'll give them introductions as we go one by one. We'll start with John, uh, because John, I know we have limited time with. John is the CEO of NeoSwap, also boasting a PhD in math. I was briefly a math major in undergrad, and I uh, know how hard that can be. I mean, just getting the, the BS in it is tough. Uh, John, how you doing today? Yeah, doing great. Can you hear me okay? 
Absolutely. Thanks for joining the show today. Um, and, and actually, just right before we get into it, I want to shout out our sponsor quickly. Today's show is sponsored by Trust Machines. Uh, you know, when you talk about building on Bitcoin, Trust Machines is singularly focused on growing the Bitcoin economy by building applications all on Bitcoin and its various layers. For more information, check out Trust Machines Co. You see uh, the Twitter handle right here as a co-host on the show or visit trustmachines.co to learn more about about the future of building on Bitcoin. But John, I'd love to know, um, you know, kind of what what influenced you to actually decide to build on Bitcoin? I see you, you know, repping an NFT profile picture, repping an, a mad lad. What made you mm. want to build on Bitcoin? Yeah, well, I've always felt like Bitcoin solves the most important problem in the world, which is the corruption of the money supply. And all, I mean, so many of the problems we see in the world are downstream from the money supply being captured and centrally controlled, and it needs to be decentralized. There's no reason why a small group of people should sit in a room and make decisions that affect 8 billion people. Like, that's why we have all these problems in the world. So I'm a big believer in Bitcoin. And before I ever got into Web3, you know, and smart contracts and any of the other things that Web3 brings, um, I was always interested in Bitcoin. So for me, when I saw Ordinals, I was, I was really overjoyed that I could finally do a lot of what I wanted to do, but do it directly on Bitcoin. And from your perspective, you know, what is the, the kind of current state of affairs with ordinals? You see a lot of people that are, uh, I guess, NFT native individuals, uh, you know, suggesting that uh, things aren't going so well on ordinals right now. I have my own opinions about this, but I'd love to know what your thought is uh, in, in terms of the ordinals ecosystem right now. Well, my big picture view here is that the early use cases for really any new economic tool are going to be speculative. And that ordinals basically speed speed ran a speculative cycle or two that other chains had already been through. And now that's done. And so now that's good. A lot of stuff got built and we're ready for the next cycle where we're going to have real world utility get built. So I'm excited to see. I, I think ultimately valuable assets will have their ownership reported on Bitcoin. Like truly valuable assets will and financial assets will naturally end up on Bitcoin. And so I think you're going to see in the next cycle, a totally different set of use cases and much more value being provided. I mean, great take. And, you know, I, I was wondering also when you're, you know, going through the process of actually building, you know, apps, building businesses on Bitcoin, are there technical challenges that are specific to Bitcoin that you're, you know, pushing to overcome? And, and uh, yeah, if so, we can dig in a little bit on that. Yeah, I see there's two sets of challenges. Like one is just the nature of the blockchain and how it's really fundamentally different from other smart contract chains where it's, um, you know, it, it's kind of restricted in what it can do, but as a result, it's very good at those activities. So you, you have to get used to new sets of tools like, um, you know, PSVTs and deal and discrete log contracts. And so you can't just use a lot of the technology you might be using on other chains out of the box, but that's fine. I mean, I think that these other tools have their virtues as well. Um, the other, Set of challenges is just that the ecosystem is so young that you just don't have all of the infrastructure already built that you can just work with. You don't have businesses that you can just hire, you know, as, as third-party service providers. So I think that people, I don't actually see a problem with the actual tooling of Bitcoin. I think that you just it's just a different set of tools and you have to get used to it. I think that in the next uh, cycle you're going to see much more mature ecosystem and much easier for people to build on Bitcoin. And do you, you know, you talked about like third party service providers. Do you think that we're destined to kind of go down that route 
with Bitcoin. And um, I'd also wonder, you know, obviously it took a while for ordinals, uh, you know, to be developed. Have you seen like a, uh, a, a drastic change it, with any of your contacts with the way that they think about Bitcoin or people getting interested in building on Bitcoin post ordinals? Well, I think you, you definitely have a new range of use cases. And I think that ordinals actually can support all sorts of use cases that aren't well suited to other chains. I mean, inscriptions are more general than, than NFTs. And putting data on chain is really quite interesting in its own right. So I think you're, you are eventually going to see the Bitcoin ecosystem support use cases that other chains really can't support or doesn't make for, sense for them to support. Um, I did want to say something about third-party service providers, too. I mean, things like indexers and you know, the, the ordinal, there's not really a good, ordinals are not um, nearly as standardized as they are on other chains. It's just early, early and that presents its own set of challenges. But I think those will get worked out over time. Sure. And one more question, John. Uh, you know, as a startup that's actually applying AI, you know, to blockchain, is there a specific advantage that Bitcoin offers, you know, uh, for that one particular thing? Like, is that something that makes, you know, does Bitcoin kind of offer you, um, you know, tools or, or just offer you any opportunity that another blockchain might not for that specific application? Yeah, well, I think for what we're doing, actually, Bitcoin makes it harder because of the way the data, the ordinal data are not very well standardized yet. And so um, that is a limitation, but I expect that will go away over time. I think in the long run, what you're going to have are AIs. I mean, think about it. If you're going to build some sort of bot that's going to do trading, or eventually you're going to have AIs themselves conducting trading, they're going to want to trade. I mean, they're going to be attracted to Bitcoin. It's the most open censorship resistant network. Um, it's also has a tremendous amount of value, lock, you know, kind of uh, contained inside it. And so I think you're going to see AIs will like trading on Bitcoin. And I think that you should, people should be thinking now about making their applications easy to use for AIs, assuming that's what you want, because AIs are going to be economic agents in the future. And they're going to be definitely preferring blockchains in general. And I think Bitcoin specifically because of the, the you know, openness of Bitcoin. Yeah, really appreciate the detail and uh, you know appreciate you joining, John. And, and shout out to NeoSwap. Obviously, everybody should definitely you know check out uh, NeoSwap. They can find the link in your bio. Uh, we can you know have a, a little bit of a discussion here with Chiente from Alex, uh, and then we'll move on after to Nick from Gamma just to get everybody uh, ready. But Chiente, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Our pleasure. Uh, so obviously, you are previously an MD at Morgan Stanley and Credit Suisse. Uh, you know, what attracted you to building on Bitcoin? Um, because I'm statistician, my background. I think Bitcoin has the highest probability to become the true alternative to the current fiat system. And uh, Rachel and I, we co-founded Alex and Alex stands for Automated Liquidity Exchange. Um, I would say about two years ago, and um, our we haven't changed our vision. Our roadmap, I would say, become more and more uh, concrete and clear, um, but our vision hasn't changed. We are two female co-founders. Our vision is uh, financial inclusion. Rachel and I, we came from Southeast Asia. We know that, you know, um, the fairness or the economic equality come from uh, having been included in the financial system. And uh, that's why we decided to build on Bitcoin. 
It, no, it's it's awesome to hear. And you know, obviously, Alex focuses on decentralized finance. I guess from your perspective, how does building a DeFi platform, specifically on Bitcoin, you know, differ from other blockchains, for example? Oh, people laugh at us. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Um, I was um, two years. I was um, visiting Professor Duke. I was teaching the econo- econometrics there. And a few months ago, I went down there um, to participate in the blockchain uh, conference. And when I told people like, you know, Professor Campbell Harvey, that we are building a Bitcoin DeFi, people just laugh at us um, because it's not mainstream. But, you know, if it's mainstream, it's easy, then everybody would do it. I think what, uh, you know, the team has seen is that because Bitcoin has the highest probability to succeed to become the, uh, you know, viable uh, uh, currency system compared with uh, fiat, we just have to uh, roll our sleeves and to start building it. And I'm really proud to say that since we uh, made and launched on uh, January 18, 2022, Alex has grown to become the highest ranked Bitcoin DeFi on CoinGecko. And uh, the Mesari Q2, the state of stacks report, Alex has 92% of stacks uh, TVL. And so here we are, you know, there's still a lot uh, to build. I think, you know, the next step is about how to grow beyond just a DeFi protocol, right? How to grow beyond just an MMM or order book. Um, so I think the next year of Alex is really to become, I would say, to help the builders in the ecosystem to um, release our API SDK available for the developers to build together and maybe also to start funding the ecosystem fund. Um, yeah, to build together. That's pre- that will be really our roadmap going forward. That's awesome. And it's fantastic to hear about, you know, future plans. I'm wondering, you know, coming from traditional finance, uh, what are your, you know, former colleagues from the TradFi world, what do they make of you, you know, leaning into Bitcoin entrepreneurship? I'd imagine that uh, that must be a doozy for them. Yes. um, I'll say there there, there are two camps. Actually, there are three camps. One think we are all scammers. (laughs) And uh, so that's the extreme camp. And then the middle camp is that they just don't care, right? You know, Bitcoin is for them is a risky asset that people, the hedge fund guys trading up and down. They don't spend much time, you know, even, you know, an hour to read about what Bitcoin is. But the third camp is um, are those that who have invested in Alex. So in our seed round, we have a global head of top 10 major banks that invest in Alex, and that's how uh, they they see the future is. Or again, I don't want to say, you know, to replace the traditional finance. I always like to say in the, you know, maybe in a year time or to five year time, we're not going to talk about TradFile, DeFi, we're just going to talk about FI, and whoever can come up with better solutions, much more efficient financial services will be the one that provide the financial services. Love the take. And, you know, I'd be curious uh, specifically because you're building DeFi on Bitcoin. Has there been pushback within the Bitcoin community, you know, basically suggesting that DeFi on Bitcoin, you know, isn't a positive thing for Bitcoin? Is that something that you guys have had to deal with? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) The biggest difference between building uh, DeFi on Bitcoin or building DeFi on other chains such as Ethereum, Solana, Aptos is really the philosophical differences. 
the community tends to, you know, Bitcoin community tends to prioritize the security decentralization and the simplicity over, you know, feature richness or rapid development. And, you know, this can lead to a different, you know, priorities and also development approaches compared to other blockchain community. But again, you know, noise is noise. Uh, we are a startup, so we are a business. We just have to, again, you know, cut through the noise, be really, really focused on what we can execute, what we can deliver. And um, as you know that Trevor here, um, we have been in Trevor's Accelerator. Um, that's what we have learned, you know, as a startup, as a business, you just have to focus and execute. And I think that, um, yeah, I think we are very proud of what we have achieved so far. Fantastic to hear. One last question, you know, given your platform, could you make any sort of prediction on what the future of stable coins on Bitcoin might look like? Do you think that they'll be like Bitcoin will be the prominent chain for stable coins at any point in the future? How do you see all that playing out? Um, I, I have my personal take in, it might not be the most popular um, take is that we have to first define, you know, what stable coins is and what the functionality we want stable coin to be. Right. So just like, um, you know, mathematician or, you know, scientist, you write down the objective function first and you say, okay, what are the constraints? Right. If stable coin, the function, the, the objective function is to be stable, but stable relative to what? Right. So, um, as an economist, you know, a, a, a currency is just a numerator, right? If you want your stable coin to be stable relative to potato, which is again just a numerator, right? Then you have to design, design differently. I think most people in our sector want stable coin to be stable relative to fiat. And at the moment, US dollar is the strongest fiat. If that's the case, Right. We can all dream about the magical internet money that is completely independent of any central bank, but it's just not going to happen because your numeria is US dollar. Right. So that's the first thing. The second thing is about, well, okay, now you can say that you don't want to have all these, you know, treasuries, TBOs or whatever to be your reserve. You just want to have the sectors such as, you know, maybe some revenue from L1, from L2 or other, other uh, protocol to support this particular stable coin so that it can be stable against the fiat such as USC. Then I think we have all learned from, you know, Luna Terra that it's not going to work. What you need to have is really, I would say, is a, is a, is a portfolio of revenue generating entities that have enough revenue stream to support these stable coins. So it's almost like a warrant vs. equity type of uh, business model. But this is a very long subject. Maybe we can have another session on it. <laughs> no, I appreciate the insight. Yeah, I mean, I ask most guests what they think of the future of stable coins. It's fascinating to hear different takes. I, I like your kind of um, discussion of the definition of stable coin. Uh, really appreciate the, the contributions. And um, yeah, everyone should definitely check out Alex. Uh, the official account is in the audience right now. It's easy to find. Uh, give him a follow. I do want to move on to, to Nick from Gamma for a little bit, and then we'll, we'll throw to Chris from Console. Nick, how's it going? Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me up. Yeah, our pleasure. I think you might have made a, a brief appearance on the show before, uh, but I'd love to know, you know, from your perspective, what's it like building an Ordinal's marketplace right now, given the state of the market? Um, I mean, you know, as someone that's building in the NFT space myself, 
this feels very like, you know, bottom of the cycle environment right now. I'd love to know from your perspective as a marketplace builder, how you feel about it. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I, I, Share the uh, share the sentiment uh, that that you know this does feel like we're at we're at kind of the uh, the the bottom of uh, of the curve here at least uh, let's let's sort of hope so in in some ways. However, you know I, I think from our perspective, like yes, we are a marketplace, uh, but first and foremost, uh, we're a a creator launchpad, and so uh, you know we sort of. Uh, you know, uh, first want to provide all of the tools for creators. A, a lot of times those are independent artists, but they can be, you know, other projects as well, have all of the tools that they need to, you know, to launch and, and have a sustainable, uh, community and, and, you know, um, kind of form their own, you know, uh, digital like culture from, from, from the, you know the the real world on into the digital world. So I think you know in that regard we're we're actually still seeing you know lots of creators that you know have have not given up faith in in any way. Like they're they're still sort of convicted on Bitcoin being the best uh, you know location to preserve their uh, their digital legacy is sort of the way that we we like to to frame it. So you know if you are putting all of your blood, sweat, and tears into what you're creating, uh, you want to know that that's going to live on. And uh, and you can do that on lots of different chains and no shade to, to other chains, but uh, but on Bitcoin, uh, and, and, and that applies to Bitcoin L2s like Stacks, where we have, you know, have had our creator tools and marketplace for a couple of years now, or more recently on L1, on Bitcoin Ordinals. Uh, that is really the, the greatest chance to, you know, to, to preserve that uh, and and to some of John's and, and Shante's points, uh, you know, carry that on into the future as we as we move, you know, into hopefully what we view as a, a new, you know, Bitcoin economy. So, so yeah, I, I I hope that you know answers your question. But I think uh, the key thing for us is really continuing to build out the tools that are going to help you know new creators find their way into Web three, and if that means that in the short term. There's you know a little bit less trading volume on secondary because there's fewer people speculating. Well, you know that's a side effect, and and I think that's okay. Uh, we're we're sort of focused on that long term. Sure, and I mean you know it's it's pretty fascinating to me when I think about ordinals because ordinals are were born you know born in a bear market, right? Like ordinals didn't exist before this year, and so it's almost like the Bitcoin community hasn't had a chance to go through a full cycle with. Uh, you know, broadly speaking, we'll call it NFTs, right? And I was, I had Raul Paul on, uh, you know, my other podcast the other day, and he compared, basically he compared like, you know, the stock market uh, and real estate to crypto and NFTs, meaning that, you know, uh, real estate can lag like one year after a stock market crash. And that's kind of what we're seeing right now. And if you look at the, the quote unquote crypto ecosystem, it's a very similar uh, timeline where you look at the crypto crash versus what uh, where we're at with NFTs at this point, you know, for you all, it is like kind of are, do market conditions impact anything, or because you guys are so early stage, you're just totally in in early stage build mode, and market conditions don't actually really have any material impact, and you're just you're ready for the next big cycle. Uh, I I think you know while I, while I'd like to say that it doesn't impact it at all, I think 
you know, uh, naturally most businesses need to be, you know, at least a little bit quantitative in nature and in terms of, uh, you know, KPIs and whatnot. But I think that, um, you know, it doesn't change the vision and, and where we sort of know we want to go. Like, I don't think any of us would be, you know, that are speaking here on stage would be building for, you know, what are, you know, probably 10 or 15,000 active uh, wallets that are that are trading. I think, you know, we sort of all share this vision of millions or even hundreds of millions or billions of people that are that are using, you know, this early infrastructure and tools and applications. And so, um, you know, of course, we do want to stay focused on making sure that that, you know, we're growing, uh, you know, our place in the market and also the market overall. But but yeah, I, I think in some ways, we try to you know, not let it shape uh, too much of the long-term decision-making uh, that, that will lead us to create the best products. Because if you, if you prioritize, you know, winning in the short term, that's how you get, you know, uh, platforms like Blur, where, you know, you're, you're basically just incentivizing a lot of trading right now. And, and then that, you know, leads to relatively short-term or mid-term effects where now there's negative implications of, of incentivizing certain types of trading. So, I think that, uh, you know, it's it, it's all a balance, but we try to, I'd say, focus like 75% on the long term, 25% on the short term. Yeah, no, great insight. And, you know, one more question. Uh, like, a lot of people are trying to say that, you know, quote unquote, ordinals is dead, but obviously the, the protocol itself is not going anywhere. Uh, it's really just uh, not having an abundance maybe of quality builders putting out new products on a weekly or monthly basis during this, you know, time, which might be the trough of the bottom, you know, of the kind of NFT bear market. Do you, well, first of all, are you aware of quality builders that are, you know, starting the process of building on ordinals right now? In other words, should we expect in the next six to 12 months, a lot of products to emerge on ordinals that are being built right now, kind of in the, you know, in, in the background by quality builders? A hundred percent. You know, there's, there's many of them up here on stage, uh, since we have such a, such a stacked, uh, you know, speaker list today. I think, you know, also there's, there's, uh, you know, wallet infrastructure and there's, there's other, um, you know, even things like, you know, John mentioned indexers and, and other things like that, like basic, very primitive uh, tools and infrastructure that allow other builders to then build on top. Uh, right now, you know, you, you sort of have uh, this, you know, normally when, you, when you're, you're building, you know, a new product, you'll say, okay, we're going to build a new product and we need to host images. Well, which of the 5,000 image hosting services and CDNs and, and whatnot do we want to use to serve our images? You, you can, you know, you have so, so, so many options. But, you know, for basic uh, infrastructure on Bitcoin, uh, you might have one option or maybe you have zero options. In the early days of Ordinals, there was not a single Google result for some of the things that, you know, existed in, in Bitcoin script, but you know, the, the, there had never been a single, uh, you know, instance of it being built with production code. So I think that, uh, you know, that is those, you know, base level infrastructure, uh, build outs are what, um, are what are going to enable sort of that next, uh, cohort of, of application builders and, and things like that. And so I think, 
Um, yeah, there, there's going to be a natural lag, just like you mentioned with, uh, you know, with, with this market lag. I think that there's also going to be a, a little bit of a builder lag. And, uh, and I'm really happy to see, you know, Trevor with Bitcoin Frontier Fund and launching, you know, this accelerator that's going to allow tons of new um, application builders to find their way to ordinals. And, and now that we're, you know, six months plus into really a ton of these builders building some of those uh those primitives, uh, I think that the answer is going to be a lot easier for them. It's okay. Which of the five indexers do you want to choose from? You know, it might not be five thousand, but it's 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 working its way there. So, um, yeah, I think I think we're going to see tons of interesting things being built over the next six to twelve months. Uh, I know we have some incredible things coming for for artists. That's one of our core focuses, and and we've sort of you know needed to just get something that was working first for any use case before we could really verticalize and, and build something bespoke for artists. But but now after these six months, we, we, we have the ability to sort of take a step back and, and build something that's, you know, specific to, uh, you know, who, who we really want to serve and support. Love to hear it. And, and one last question, uh, you know, when you think about what what kind of will develop on ordinals? Like if if people are thinking of it right now, just you know, mostly as JPEGs on the blockchain, basically on the Bitcoin blockchain. Uh, you know, how do you see things shifting? Like, what sort of changes could you expect over the next one to two years when it comes to the things that are being built on ordinals? Yeah, I think that there's there's definitely a logical use case there with with you know jpegs like i know we sort of joke it's like oh the right click save and whatnot but um if you're talking about preservation of you know things that you've spent a lot of time on and and historically and culturally significant kinds of artifacts uh there is always going to be a very logical use case there i think that as fees rise you'll probably you know start to store fewer things that you just throw together in in five minutes and more things that you really deem extremely important and valuable to you. Uh, But it it really does not stop there. I think, uh, you know, as we get into things like real world assets and as we get into things like, um, you know, even even things that connect you to real world experiences like ticketing, uh, there's there's tons of ways that I think we're we're sort of just scratching the surface. And, and those things are naturally going to take a few more years because, you know, if you if you think about ticketing, for example, you know, there are, you know, electronic ticketing platforms that people don't even like using, uh, but they've spent the last, you know, 10, 15, 20 years uh, forming partnerships and relationships with venues and getting physical infrastructure that's capable of scanning these things. There's just so many aspects to, uh, to you know, m- powering this tech in the real world that just takes time and it takes money and it takes, you know, energy and, and focus. And so, um, I think that, you know, JPEGs are a great start and they're low hanging fruit. Uh, and then I think there are other industries that will be, you know, um, slated, you know, for, for disruption. And then, you know, after that, beyond that, uh, you know, I think, uh, blockchain will sort of turn into this, this thing that's just happening in the background and, and you don't even know that it's happening. I, I, I was just thinking about this example yesterday. You know, we, we, we don't appreciate like how absolutely mind blowing it is that I can just 
pull out my phone and say, I want to, I live in New Jersey, a little outside New York City. I want to go to San Francisco and I'm just going to type in San Francisco. I'm going to hit route me there and think of all the technology and infrastructure that's required to get me there. I need a device with a cellular connection, no matter where I am in the country. I need GPS that's locating me. I need uh, map data. I need live traffic data. And by the end of it, I know that I'm going to arrive in San Francisco within like 20 minutes of the estimate that was given to me, you know, days before that I left. And so I think that like that kind of experience, there's so much technology and nobody talks about the technology that's, that's powering that. It's just happening under the covers invisibly. And I think that that's really where things will be headed, but you know, that's going to take time. That's going to take lots of builders. It's going to take resources and, uh, and, and, you know, I'm excited to see where, where we are in, in, in five to 10 years. Absolutely. I love that comparison. Uh, you know, Dan Held, former guest of the show, friend of the show, uh, I was listening to a different podcast with Dan once and Dan was talking about, you know, making a cell phone call and everything that's going on, you know, behind the scenes there and, you know, uh, which network ends up being called on for the call and and how as a user, you don't know and, and you'll never care, right? And it's like, once we get to that point, things will be a lot easier for people to understand. Um, so yeah, Nick, really appreciate the, the contribution. Everyone should check out Gamut's at Tri Gamma, uh, right there in Nick's profile, really easy to find. I think they're also in the crowd right now. I want to move over to Chris from Console. Chris, how you doing? Hey, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Absolutely, our, our pleasure. Um, you know, when I look at Console, and you know, I think about building, you know, a decentralized uh, like communication platform. Uh, what attracted you to Bitcoin? I'd be curious. Yeah, Console. We started just with uh, Bitcoin names, so we were really excited about the .BTC name and thinking about how a wallet is essentially your identity that you use all over the web. You know, a wallet right now, its main purpose is sending and receiving Bitcoin, holding Bitcoin. And I think that's just the first kind of evolution of, of what we can do with this. I think the next, the next phase of where wallets take us, because really wallets are just this cryptography, right, is behind is what's happening, right? I think we forget sometimes that cryptocurrency comes from cryptography and they allow us to own our identity essentially. And there's so much more that we can do with that. So looking at the way that Bitcoin wallets work, it was an idea of thinking, what if every wallet could be your identity through which you connect with other people to not just send Bitcoin, but to chat? to form connections, to send other types of assets, whether it's Bitcoin ordinals or, um, you know, all the types of things, even just like this group chat that we're having right here, we're all on Twitter server. But what if we could do that powered by Bitcoin? Yeah, love to hear it. And, you know, obviously Discord is a widely used tool uh, within the kind of quote unquote web through your crypto space. Uh, do you see a, a ton of opportunity to do things that a platform like Disc Discord couldn't do because of the decentralized nature of a, a platform like Console? Yo, don't even get me started about Discord. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But uh, I think that's kind of how this whole thing started because my whole career, I guess you could say, <laughs> my master's degree and like my work has always been about making the internet better. Like that's what I studied. I studied new media and peer-to-peer -peer networks. And I think I've always been excited about, you know, connecting peer-to-peer -peer and like just creating a better internet, which to me means one that's private, you know, respects 
I think privacy is a human right that we should have, and it shouldn't be decided by just the people who are running the site. The same way we feel about Bitcoin and the banks, and you know, we shouldn't be decided like who makes the money and who moves the money. I think if you care about those ideals, the same thing goes to our privacy on the internet. And, and um, as well as like ownership of assets, I was also a musician for a long time. And, you know, it, there's just this like challenge, I think, that the creative culture has online with sharing assets and ownership of assets that I think, you know, Nick and Gamma and so many people on this call have also been part of. So, you know, to me, looking at Discord and the move to Discord, um, when I was trying to get into Web3, I literally found it hard <laughs> to like get involved in this space around 2020. Because every like even the whole Stacks community and Bitcoin, like people were just all on Discord. I'm like, I don't even know where to start, you know. And I thought I was stupid. I was like, I was like, I don't know if I want anything to do with this place. And you know, then I learned more about the people and what people are working on. And it was like, oh, it's you know, it's the tool I think. And so making something that's easier to use, more inviting, and that respects these these rights. What I would say is like doing the right thing over like doing the easy thing, which is just taking a platform that was made for gamers, not for, you know, improvement of the internet or for the things that we believe in. Um, it just seemed like, I mean, that was basically where the idea for console came from, is just just recreating that space, making it better. Love to hear the history and, and you know, your thought process throughout that. And so when we were, we were doing a little bit of research for this show, we came across, so did you submit an iPhone app, uh, store application for console in the past couple of days? Uh, yes, that was yesterday. <laughs> nice. Well, first of all, best of luck with that. Uh, how about that can of worms, you know, when it comes to crypto and Web3 applications and, you know, transaction fees with, you know, the App Store? And I don't, I know, you know, I think a lot of people don't necessarily process that and, and really think about that. And obviously, Apple's uh, approach to crypto hasn't always been the most progressive. Uh, you know, how do you think that's going to play out? And what's your experience been like so far, you know, I guess one day post-application? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, console, we submitted our iPhone app yesterday. It's We've been testing it for two months. Um, and, you know, it was a big day to submit it to the App Store. And, you know, in that process... I definitely learned a lot of lessons um, about, and I think people feel this, but about the centralization of Apple being this, you know, decision point on what we can and can't do. Um, I don't really have like super strong, like political backing feelings about like anger towards Apple or anything as much as I'm just like, Hey man, let us do what we want. Like, just let us create what we want to create and like, stop trying to police us. So, you know, I, I just feel like it's frustrating and that, like, I wish an alternative existed. Um, I don't know if that's the fight of console, at least not right now. I think, you know, we are creating our app is available on the web, iPhone, Android. And I think just getting it out there is the first step. But I do think longer term, it is something that we'd want to position ourselves against. It's just the question of just, like, how do we just bring this to more people and not have this centralized point of Apple? So I think that's more of, like, a long-term concern for for our app and for any app here, um, most famously, uh, Damus, D-A-M-U-S, uh, which is like a Noster-based Twitter app, which is amazing if nobody's tried it. Um, yeah, I had this problem with the Apple Store, maybe you guys read, where they had lightning payments and they were asked to give a percentage of all the payments on the app to the App Store and how to remove that feature. Um, at, at console, this is also on our roadmap to, like right now you can chat 
group chat. You can token gate. Um, but we also will allow payments with Meme So I'm not sure how that's going to go. <laughs> I think that's like on our horizon. So that's what I said. It's like we're not, right now it's not on my radar, but it will be soon. And um, and I think I think the quick answer would be um, I think the more that we connect everything to everything, the more unstoppable the mach- like the machine or that it becomes. And what I mean by that is like you can view console on Android on the web. Um, we will integrate Nostr in certain ways. Like we will be so interconnected um, that you'll be able to use it. Like I, I can use certain Nostr apps on my iPhone without even going to the App Store. I have to could write a blog post and share more about how that works. But there are advances happening. I just don't think they're ready yet. And so that will be on our radar for about probably two years and about two years from now, one, two years from now, I imagine that's like the timeline for when that will become relevant for us. Nice. I love that quote, connecting everything to everything. I see Aubrey has her hand raised. Aubrey, a question for Chris? Yeah. Um, on the Damas note, I think it's just for crowdfunding, but it, it does bring up an interesting, I think people are still zapping or like sending lightning invoices to each other. But it does bring up like an interesting um, conversation around um, incentivizing creators because we now see Twitter is monetized. We have people on Domus or Noster using that sort of like endorsing a post or, or, you know, like zapping a post. Um, And where do you think that kind of plays into the whole like decentralized social media, um, you know, incentivization because people are kind of now individual creators with their own channels? Um, in regards to Bitcoin, yeah, I think I think it's exciting to be able to so so Audrey Aubrey used the word um, zapping. So zapping is, if anybody doesn't know, it's when you send a, a small usually a small lightning payment instead of liking someone's post on Nostr, you zap it. You could send a little payment. Um, I think it's the early days. I think every. I mean, I guess I just as a builder look kind of optimistically at running as many experiments as we can run. And so, I don't know, it's, it's hard to say, hey, this is 100% the future. I mean, in some ways, it's like taking the Patreon model in some ways, but really removing that middle person and allowing um, an artist, you know, or a creator, or even someone that writes really good posts and content or the Bitcoin show right now, you know, um, to just really easily collect small amounts or large amounts of, of payment. And so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think the creator economy has tried tipping for quite a long time. There's been lots of experiments over the past few decades to like push that. Um, it's definitely really active on Noster. I just don't know that I've, I haven't heard any stories yet of people making like millions of dollars. Like I think people make like $17, but I don't know. <laughs> There's something nice about it. Maybe, maybe it's not a binary of, hey, I got rich or I didn't get rich on my art as much as it is like, just a new way to feel validated or rewarded, or maybe there's a middle class artist to r- rise through the creation of content. Um, I'm not sure yet. It's it's all an experiment. Great question, Aubrey, and great response, Chris. Chris, really appreciate you joining us. Everyone, check out Console. Uh, you know, very easy to find. All the links within Chris's profile, super easy. I want to go to Robin, and then uh, we will go to Philip right after. This show's flying by. I got to make sure I uh, make time for everybody. Uh, and also, just give a quick shout out, ladies and gentlemen, to the sponsor of today's show, Trust Machines. Uh, Trust Machines is focused on growing the Bitcoin economy by building applications all on Bitcoin and its various layers. Uh, Trust 
Machines is also hiring, by the way, looking for a technical lead to help build out and scale a lending application. So if you're interested, go to the pinned tweet above. Our producer, Clemente, should have something pinned up there that includes a link to the job listing. And of course, for more information, follow Trust Machines right here on Twitter or go to trustmachines.co to learn about the future of building on Bitcoin. Uh, Speaking of a lending application, uh, we got Robin from Liquidium. Robin, how's it going? Hey, hey, thanks for having me here. Yeah, you got a like great lineup here. Uh, learned so much today already. Um, so yeah, we're uh, building Liquidium, which is the first ordinal lending protocol. Um, kind of like, uh, I guess, as like many companies here, uh, we actually started on Stacks about a year ago, uh, built the first NFT lending platform on Stacks. And then in February, when we first heard about ordinals and kind of uh, were convinced by the idea of having something something like on layer one Bitcoin. Uh, we thought, okay, it's time to pivot and like build the first lending application, um, non-custodial decentralized lending application on Bitcoin. Um, because now you actually have something that you can collateralize. So essentially peer-to-peer lending with ordinals as collateral uh, and you can borrow and lend native Bitcoin against your ordinal. I mean, love to hear it. And and I always think about the future of, you know, just kind of decentralized finance and lending as being really, really simple. I'd love to know, you know, I'm not focused on it. It's not the business that I'm building. I don't think about it all day. I'd love to ask, you know, Robin, as someone who I'm assuming is thinking about this stuff all day, if you fast forward five years, 10 years, however long, I don't know what the expected time frame is for, um, you know, all of these kind of different uh mechanics to to simplify how do you view the most simplified future of lending you know if if the crypto integration to finance that we all expect does actually you know kind of fully manifest itself what's the simplest reality in the future well that's that's a great question um i think one fundamental thing that we want to see and that was already spoken about is like inclusion um so with crypto we have the ability to check like real data um that is like on chain and so on to see if someone is credit worthy if like they're like basically we can make lending possible for everyone no matter what country they are in what like uh background they have what ethnicity they are and so on we we don't judge in a crypto world it's just like your wallet is like a random number and uh if if you want to borrow or lend like yeah, feel free to do so, like use the financial system. I think uh, that that's really one core fundamental thing about crypto in general is just like making finance accessible to everyone. And I think one outcome that we would like to see is um, really like if, if you think about like, okay, we are like most of us are in like a first world country or some country that like you have financial access to certain things like lending platforms uh, or or like banking services that actually provide you value. Um, and people use these kind of loans for creating companies like startups. So many startups just start off by taking a loan or uh, or other things like uh, real estate, like actually owning things. It, no, not everyone has enough capital to just run off their own capital all the time, especially in 
third world countries in countries where there is no financial infrastructure like this. And I think what I would personally love to see is someone taking a loan on Liquidium and using this money to, for example, start a successful startup. Like this would be huge from, from like, I don't know, Africa uh, or, or, or something like that. I, I would love to see this. Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of one of my goals. For I think a lot of people. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people would love to see it. I guess, you know, when you think about the world of decentralized lending and DeFi lending right now, is there something that, you know, because it's still not a mainstream, uh, you know, just it's not a mainstream thing just yet. Is there something that you think a lot of people would find interesting that maybe they don't know about the reality of decentralized lending right now? Like something that an individual can do or, you know, a platform um, that someone can use to do something that maybe they're not thinking about just because this technology really isn't widely used just yet. So, so sorry, uh, could you repeat the question? Yeah, just asking, like, is there anything that you think people maybe aren't aware of right now? Because decentralized lending is, it's not a, a huge thing that everybody's doing just yet. But is there something that you think people, you know, might not know about that they'd find really interesting and maybe would make them say, hey, maybe I'll look into this a little bit further right now? If the answer is no, there's not, it's it's still really early, then that's no problem. But I just want to ask. Um, yeah, I, th I think like decentralized lending has like so much, like th there is so much work to be done. Uh, it it's really just in its infancy. Um, I think, for example, uh, Zest is another company that that is trying to build like Bitcoin lending. Um, they are doing under collateralized loans. So right now, like most of the things that we see with decentralized lending is collateralized loans. Um, so basically, basically you use uh, collateral that is worth more than what you are actually borrowing. Um, and it makes sense, of course, because you then have some sort of security. Um, but I think, yeah, something like under collateral, under collateral, I, I can pronounce this word, but yeah, if, if the collateral is worth less than the actual loan, or even you don't have to use any sort of collateral, that would be huge uh, in terms of just like pushing more liquidity on chain, I think. And I think, uh, yeah, something that that would be uh, like a cool thing to have. Under collateralized loans, right, Robin? Is that what exactly. we're talking about? Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Of course. Well, look, thank you for joining us, Robin. And, and ladies and gentlemen, make sure you check out Liquidium. The uh, The Twitter handle is right there in Robin's profile. Give him a follow. Really easy uh, to get access and, and you know, take a look at everything that Liquidium has, go has uh, you know, going on right now. Uh, I want to throw to Philip, and I think Philip will be our, our kind of final uh, panelist here, you know, discussing Arcadico Finance, another uh, DeFi platform. Philip, how's it going? Hey guys, going well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, and and you know, uh, thanks for joining us. Obviously, we've talked to a few different DeFi builders thus far. Uh, could you kind of give us your perspective of DeFi on Bitcoin in 2023, and maybe where it's going, and and the way you guys over at Arcadico are thinking about it? Yeah, for sure. Um, we first and foremost are are have been focused on stacks. Um, which I think the, the mental model for like thinking about DeFi and developing it and all those things is more similar to what we understand as the, the smart contracts, you know, programming in general, right? And I do agree. I think it was John who said that the tooling on Bitcoin, the infrastructure around this, 
is still less mature. Um, but that makes it a lot more exciting as well. Um, what I look forward to is better tooling around DLCs, for instance. Um, I think obviously ordinals are one thing, but I think Bitcoin, Bit, there's Bitcoin the network and Bitcoin the asset, right? And when I say Bitcoin now, I, I'm, I mean Bitcoin the asset. And I think Bitcoin the asset, so not a single SAD, but let's say one BTC, is still it's still a financial asset. And when we look at DeFi, I think what has not been solved yet is borrowing, lending borrowing around Bitcoin the asset, where Bitcoin is seen as pure as it is, right? Without you know, banging it in, wrapping it, uh, doing something exotic, let's call it with it. And I think DLCs and perhaps some other technologies, but I think first and foremost, DLCs are a gateway to, um, you know, enabling uh, lending and borrowing. And I think with Arcadico, we are um, focused on that. We have a stablecoin protocol right now, but, and I think Kiente talked a bit about that, and I want to add to that, if you, if you say stablecoins, what you, in my opinion, what you're actually asking the user is, what do you want this coin to do? Um, and if you just want to hold a dollar on chain, let's say, then you're probably best off with like a USDC or a USDT. But if you want to leverage yourself in some way, you probably want to look at the decentralized um, kind of stable coin where you can put some collateral and start borrowing uh, against that. And so MakerDAO has been really successful on something like Ethereum, but we do the same on Stacks, and, and obviously we want to take that to native Bitcoin as well, and I think DLCs might be an enabler for that. And so we've looked mostly around, you know, what can we do with DLCs? And if you've been following DLCs a bit more closely, DLC stands for discrete lock contract, by the way, it's in its most basic form a bed between two parties and an oracle in the middle, but you need to sign a Bitcoin transaction to do it. And the Hero Wallet, which is one of the most widespread wallets, together with XFirst, I think both have a DLC signing functionality these days. And so it's still very like new. But since the signing functionality has just been deployed, you know, on both wallets. I think in the next six to 12 months, we'll see more functionality around DLCs because before it was just really hard to impossible to sign a DLC as an end user. Now that that's possible, I think apps will, you know, start popping up left and right. And it's, it's gonna, you know, become a bigger thing in my opinion. Well, I was certainly going to ask you about stable coins. That's a, a very interesting perspective that you gave. You brought up, you know, USDC, very widely used stable coin, largely used on Ethereum. Just from a network perspective, do you see a situation where people will elect to use a stable coin like USDC, but just on Bitcoin? Like, is that something that you could see happening? Or do you think that, you know, Ethereum will continue to be the preferred blockchain for stable coins? I mean, there's a lot more incentives going around. Obviously, I, I think it can be deployed on Bitcoin, but just looking at something like Coinbase, right, who are going deeper into payments. If you follow Brian Armstrong on Twitter, he's like, yeah, we're building payments infrastructure for Coinbase with Base, their layer two on Ethereum. So if you look at the big players and their incentives, um, I think it is likely that they will push uh, standards on Ethereum. Having said that, I can envision, you know, a USDC like a circle saying, okay, this has become possible. But 
I think we need a lot more infrastructure and adoption before someone like Circle or Tether, Bitfinex, whoever is going to say, let's let's mint USDC or USDT on Bitcoin. What does that mean even today, right? It's as far as I'm concerned or no, <laughs> that's hard uh, to, to just natively mint that today. So I think it's up to us as, as an industry, as an ecosystem to facilitate you know, and then create a technology and then make it available. Um, and why not? But I think you're still fighting against incumbents that might, based on their incentives, prefer other things. Well, I appreciate the answer and, and the detail. I mean, w- one quick follow-up is like, does it does it matter if, you know, Ethereum continues to be the preferred blockchain for uh, for stablecoins? Like, is that like a, a major loss to Bitcoin beyond just, you know, network activity? <laughs> to me personally, not at all. Um, I would love to see a world where you know you can use BTC to lend and borrow. But do I care that Ethereum is a major stablecoin venue? Not really. I mean, it, it is a multi-chain world after all. Um, in fact, I do have a mul- like kind of a mental model. Let's say to like a matrix to split up use cases per blockchain. Um, and I see Bitcoin having a big role there, but Ethereum as well with its layer design. I see something for like fast chains between quotes like an Aptos, Sui, Solana. You have the Cosmos ecosystem. So I think all blockchains will have their use cases. That's my opinion. And I think Bitcoin as a financial asset, I'm not sure if it will break out of its niche. That's just my two cents. But niche with niche, I don't mean it's going to be small is just highly financialized and I would prefer it that way. And whether all stablecoin payments run on like an Ethereum or a Solana or something else, should we care? Mm, I don't think it matters really what infrastructure it uses. It's more like what what can we enable the user to do without having bias towards the actual chain? Yeah, I mean, you know, great perspective. Uh, I like the way that you're thinking about it and, and communicating it. Uh, people can check out Arcadico right there in your profile at Arcadico Finance. Anything else people should know about, you know, maybe the way you all are thinking about DeFi? I see you publish a roadmap for the rest of this year. Would love to know, uh, you know, how you're thinking about it going into 2024, the next cycle, and, you know, just any kind of closing thoughts. Yeah, for sure. Um, I love Stacks, so we'll probably keep on building on Stacks, um, even though I mentioned the DLCs, but we're looking at liquid stacking. Uh, If you're familiar with liquid staking, uh, it's very similar, but on Stacks, uh, where you deposit your Stacks token, you earn a yield, but it all all, you know, auto compounds. So that's something we're definitely looking at. And then just generally, you know, I would say executing on the vision of lending, borrowing and making that available for everyone, uh, whether that's on Bitcoin or on Stacks. Love to hear it. Uh, well, yeah, everyone, check out Arcadico at Arcadico Finance. Give Philip a follow. And Philip, thanks so much for joining us. It was a real pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I want to throw to Trevor, someone that's building on Bitcoin, because we haven't heard from him in today's show. And we can kind of wrap on that. You know, Trevor, you, you listen to all of our fantastic guests. You listen to their uh, perspectives on some of the topics that we're talking about today. Everything from DeFi, le- you know, uh, lending, stable coins, uh, you know, ordinals, all these different things. Uh, do you have anything to add and, you know, anything um, regarding your mindset when it comes to building on Bitcoin? Obviously, you're a longtime Bitcoin builder. Uh, so we're lucky to have you as a co-host of the show. But I'd love to, you know, ask you that question as, uh, you know, as a founder rather than a co-host. Yeah, of course. Thanks, Pio. And thanks to all the founders who joined us today. I mean, it's very exciting and encouraging to see so many people with so much passion um, building here on Bitcoin. And I think, you know, 
the theme I'm hearing from the conversation is underscores how early that we are in Bitcoin and how much infrastructure that we need to build. I think if you look at the Web3 space, um, you know, it's easy to get super excited about how all of these technologies and, and uh, can impact the broader world and where they can go in the future, how NFTs are not just about JPEGs, but actually they represent a, a primitive or a, a building block for a specific type of asset that is, you know, all over the world. Um, but it's going to take a long, long time to get to that future. You know, it's going to take a long time for um, NFTs to move beyond JPEGs. You know, we're starting to see it with real world assets. Like we've, I've seen this, this platform for lending, you know, luxury watches. I've seen a platform developing like, um, you know, trading rare whiskeys and stuff like that through NFTs. But these are just like the first few 